I feel like the two most boring topics are sleep and the weather, except Dr. Harvey Karp, who's on our podcast this week, makes sleep one of the most interesting things to discuss. He talks about it from the perspective of preventing postpartum depression and also just like looking at the chemical changes in our brains if we don't get enough sleep. Like after one night, if you get deficient sleep, it's the equivalent of drunk driving. Well, and it's not boring because Dr. Karp is probably the most sought after expert when it comes to all things sleep. I mean, every parent we know constantly wants access to him because he is truly the sleep whisperer. Not sure he always takes his own advice well because that man works harder than anybody I've ever met in my life. But he helps people to understand the importance of why sleep matters. I mean, it's not just about saying like, oh, I was able to get eight hours. It truly does do something to your body where your body stops functioning normally. Well, and dropping some news here, I'm pregnant. So Dr. Karp, who is known as the baby whisperer, sleep whisperer, he and I had a wonderful conversation, not just about sleep, but about chemicals, which is something that I think so much about. It's really heartbreaking that I feel the need in being pregnant to protect myself from the environment around me because I don't know what's in it. I'm Erin Always. And I'm Melody Serafino. We're the co-founders of Number 29, a media relations agency that focuses on sustainability, design, and advancing social change. This is the Enough Podcast. We're here because we know we have enough clean alternatives to harmful chemicals. And we've had enough of the chemical and energy companies poisoning our bodies. Melody, do you remember the Nicholas Kristoff piece yes. that came out in February that was all about sperm counts, but also endocrine disruptors? And it is so disturbing where it's like the chemicals around us are, it's at, they're absolutely everywhere. It's in our furniture and it is in the clothes in that our, we wear, in the, the toys that we give to our children. It's yeah. absolutely crazy. And it feels like sometimes when you are, pre- I've never been pregnant, so I can't speak to this, but it seems like when you are becoming a parent and when you are pregnant, you are so hyper attuned to everything happening in your body. It's when people often make the switch to more clean beauty products or really reading the ingredients in everything that they use because suddenly you're realizing that you've put years of shit into your body intentionally or not. Yeah. And I think you make such a good point that it is this moment often for people when they're switching to becoming parents or they're carrying a child that they're like, oh, wait, maybe I shouldn't put this in my body or like, what am I using in terms of this soap, this dishwashing detergent, these cleaners? And Dr. Karp has done more for childhood development and for infant care, but also environmentalism. He is a total badass. He's on the board of Environmental Working Group. And I talked to him about what first made him an environmentalist. And he had a really interesting history. So I'm just excited for people to hear another side of him, him talking about like his eco-warrior ways and not just the parenting side of things, though obviously the two so overlap. I was there on the first Earth Day. I was a college student at the University of Buffalo. There was a group of us who blocked the doors and we were keeping people out of their lecture halls to try to help people know. Because back then, I mean, nuclear plants uh, melting down and the Cuyahoga River on fire and 
the destruction of the ozone layer and all of that stuff was front page news. So I guess I did start off pretty early on. But, you know, as a pediatrician and the goal is to protect children and the and future generations, you have to be caring about what goes on in the environment in which children live. Yeah. Actually, I remember studying the Cuyahoga River and Rachel Carson and catching on fire, which I think is what in part inspired me to become an environmentalist. But I, I have to say, I'm very interested in the work that you do with Environmental Working Group, especially on chemical reform, mm-hmm. just because, I mean, I've always cared about this, but now I am pregnant with my first baby, which is the first time I've talked about this on the, on the podcast. But there's only so much I can control with the chemicals around us. I mean, they're just absolutely everywhere. I'd love to talk to you about endocrine disruptors or the things that have come up that are really deeply concerning for young infants. Well, you know, the thing about being a young mom or or dad or a consumer in general, I mean, you just assume that if it's being sold in a store, it's going to be safe. and, And that's an appropriate assumption. You should be able to assume that. Unfortunately, the laws are not as protective as we would hope them to be. And um, I remember when I was a, a young pediatrician and one of my patients <clears throat> invited me to a, a secret lecture about pesticides. And she said, do you know about pesticides? I said, well, of course. I mean, at that time, parents would store pesticides in Coke bottles or in things like that in the garage. Mm-hmm. And uh, or there would just be containers of pesticide. And, and every once in a while, a young child would toddle into the garage and mm-hmm. think it was something to drink and they would get poisoned. That's all we knew about pesticides. That was the only mention that I had during my medical training. And I said, yeah, I know about pesticides. I mean, children shouldn't get into them and drink them. And she said, no, 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 I mean pesticides on your food. And I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. And she said, you have to come to this lecture and Meryl Streep will be there. (laughs) Good incentive. This was a a meeting of the NRDC, the Natural Resources Defense Council, um, before they came out with this very impressive report on Alar, which is a chemical they sprayed on red apples, which wasn't even a pesticide. It wasn't there to kill bugs. It was there to ripen all the apples at the same time to make it easier for farmers to harvest them. And it turned out that Alar was related to jet fuel and it just had toxic side effects in laboratory animals that were very disconcerting. And it was totally unnecessary. After all of this hubbub, Alar was taken off the market. And you know what? The apple farmers in Washington state never had bigger harvests than Mm. after Aller was off the market. So it turned out it really was only benefiting the chemical company. And it was uh, potentially harming everybody else in the United States who was eating apples that were sprayed with that. So that's when I started to recognize the fact that the word chemical, which was a good thing, I'd studied, you know, chemistry in, in college, potentially would have negative side effects and be of concern. So you mentioned one of those, which is endocrine disruptors. Now, how do you know that name or what have you heard about endocrine disruptors? Well, I also way back in the day worked at NRDC and studied and did terribly in, by the way, biology (laughs) because I always just wanted to communicate and get people to be concerned about the environment. But also Nicholas Kristof recently wrote an op-ed in the Times about the effects of endocrine disruptors on male genitalia. And so it seems like it's picking up as something that people are interested in. 
I mean, it's exactly what the words say, endocrine disruption. Mm -hmm. The endocrine system, it's a signaling system. It's like a series of green lights and yellow lights and accelerators that go on throughout the body to maintain the growth of the body, your monthly cycle so that you can, you know, uh, release eggs and get pregnant, your thyroid hormone that regulates your metabolism, your sleep hormones, your cortisol, all of that is your endocrine system. And it's very important in terms of directing your body to do what it needs to do at the right time. And so chemicals that disrupt that potentially can lead to illness. For example, what if it disrupts your thyroid and you're not metabolizing properly and you start gaining weight and that leads to you getting, uh, you know, uh, hip arthritis or plantar fasciitis or a bad back or all sorts of things. And so it turns out that many chemicals, besides the effect that they're meant to have, have this subtle effect on the hormonal system. It turns out that very common chemicals can lead to this type of endocrine disruption. So for example, one type of chemicals are called phthalates, which is spelled with a PH, oddly enough, right. but it's pronounced phthalates. And these are a very commonly used group of chemicals. They're used in fragrances, so in perfumes, in cleaning products, in cosmetics. It, it, they're used to soften plastics. So vinyl mixed with phthalates makes it soft. So for example, the smell of the vinyl seats in a new car, the new car smell is really the smell of phthalates. Uh, rubber duckies we used to make with phthalates. And the thing about phthalates is that it mixes with the plastic, but it's removable from the plastic as well. So you can smell it. And if you chew on a plastic product, you could chew the phthalates out of it. That's problematic because um, phthalates have been proven to be an endocrine disruptor in that they're a, what we call a xenoestrogen or an artificial estrogen. I feel pretty proud of this. I wrote a, an op-ed many years ago that was in the San Francisco Chronicle, uh, co-authored it about phthalates and how they should we should get they shouldn't be in children's teething toys and rubber duckies. And many weeks later, I received a letter from Diane Feinstein, the the senator of California, and she said, "Listen, I read that. My staff read that, and I was so." challenged by that, that of course we shouldn't allow this in toys that children are putting in their mouths and chewing on. And and I wanted you to know that that op-ed inspired us to create federal legislation to take these phthalates out of children's teething toys. And it did pass, but this is the whack-a-mole game of, of use of chemicals. Those were just replaced with other chemicals that also have health effects. And ultimately, it's almost impossible for science, um, the science of protection to keep up with the science of invention. Chemical companies are churning out new products all the time, and those are almost always coming on the market without sufficient biological testing. It's a concern and even more of a concern than we know. And what I mean by that is one of the things that I'm worried about is that could endocrine disrupting chemicals be playing a role in autism and autism spectrum disorder. It's become more and more common. It used to be like one in a thousand. And when I say used to be, I'm just talking about, you know, 40, 50 years ago. Then it became yeah. one in several hundred. Then it became one in a hundred. Now it's about one in 50 boys and probably one in a hundred girls who are diagnosed with autism. Um, my concern about endocrine disrupting chemicals is that we know that autism is seen 
much more in boys than in girls. Um, hmm. And and so it's got to be in some way related to to this development of boys. What's different about boys? We, we know other things are also on the rise that are associated with boys, like attention deficit disorder. Interestingly, a study was done, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago by a guy named Simon Baron Cohen, who is um, the, um, the cousin of Sasha Baron Cohen, the famous comedian. And Simon did this study where he looked at normal children. The mothers of those babies had had an amniocentesis before the babies were born. And he took that fluid and he measured the testosterone level in the fluid. And what he found was that when the babies were born, he showed them faces or objects. And he checked to see, are the babies more interested in faces or in objects? Are they more socially oriented or object oriented? And to no one's surprise, he found that boys were a little bit more object oriented. I mean, there were plenty of boys who were oriented towards faces, but they tended to be more object oriented and girls tended to be more socially oriented, even in the first days of life. What was very, very interesting was he showed that the amount of testosterone in the amniotic fluid directly correlated with whether or not a child was more oriented to people or to things. I mean, men, by and large, are more oriented to things than they are to social relations. Autistic men are even more oriented to things and have more difficulty with social relations. And so this provided evidence to to believe that in a certain way, autism, like attention deficit, is a quote-unquote hyper-male issue or problem. And so could these hormonally active substances be crossing into the brain and causing problems? And here I have to say it's just a fascinating part of this whole biological story because anyone who's been listening carefully might say, wait a second, Carp, you said these chemicals are estrogens, but you're saying that boys are made hyper-male. Well, it turns out that estrogen doesn't cross into the brain of developing babies. It's blocked. It's too big to cross what we call the blood-brain barrier. Testosterone does get into the brain, and it masculinizes the brain. But here's the weird thing. Testosterone actually, when it enters the brain, is turned into estrogen. And it's the estrogen that masculinizes the brain. And so if testosterone gets in and that's turned to estrogen, that can masculinize. But what about if you have these chemicals that have an estrogen effect and they're small enough to sneak into the brain? Those chemicals that estrogenize the body may masculinize the brain. Signals matter in the process of the development from a single cell to this complete beautiful person that is your baby. And so if their signaling is disturbed along the way, problems can happen in development. And so that's our real concern about these chemicals that babies are exposed to. I am learning so much of this one conversation also, and I am having a boy and I feel like I have to protect myself from the environment around me, which is a heartbreaking thing where you realize that like everything around you with your food, the things we can't control, it does feel like chemical Mm -hmm. warfare or a chemical attack that is not being stopped by the government. The onus is on government to prove that chemicals are harmful, whereas chemical companies can continue to produce things. Do you feel, 
at all hopeful with the direction that this is going now in your decades of practicing as a pediatrician, or do you feel like this continue, This is a, a worsening problem? I'm very hopeful, and I think that it's a much better world to be raising babies in now than it was 20, 30 years ago from the point of view of transparency of products and the demand of consumers to have transparency. I um, became a pediatrician in 1981, so it's been a good uh, 40 years. And it was very hard to find good organic food. Everyone joked about organic food then. It was shriveled up carrots and you know, rotten apples and things like that. And we fought and fought and fought to get more access to organic food, to support organic growers, to buy locally. And you, you had to build the marketplace. The marketplace was built with basically the dollars of consumers who demanded, I'll pay five cents more if I can get an organic apple instead of one sprayed with chemicals. And so today, the largest purveyor of organic food in the United States is Walmart. I mean, the idea that the power of the consumer has led one of the most powerful consumer organizations or retail outlets to, to, to say, we're going to support organic farmers. We're going to bring organic food to the table because that's what our people want. Likewise, you mentioned EWG, and I'm so proud that my wife Nina and I have been on the board of EWG for many, many years. That's Environmental Working Group. And EWG has lots and lots of tools for young moms like yourself or moms-to-be, like Skin Deep, which is a database where you can, it's so easy. You go in the store and you look at the barcode on the back and you can just scan it with your telephone and immediately the answer will pop up. Is this a, is this a product that you can use with confidence? Or should you have concerns about it? I love this app, by the way, and I use it all the time, all of my products. For those who don't know it, it literally tells you on a scale from yellow to, I think, red, how problematic something is. But it looks specifically, I believe, at for um, pregnancy and, and for childhood, as well as at if something's just an allergen, because you just might be allergic, as well as how toxic something is. It's really... Phenomenal. Exactly. So it's a very simple green, yellow, red system. And it lets you know, hey, don't worry. We checked it for you. The government maybe didn't, but we did. And um, anyone listening, if you want to give a contribution to EWG, I kind of feel like we're your lobbyists in Washington, making sure that things are being done on your behalf and, and on the behalf of your, of your family. I can vouch for that. I'll put the link in the show notes. Thanks. So ultimately, you know, um, uh, the story's not over. It's a constant fight. Companies want to put chemicals in. We want to take chemicals out. Um, Not all chemicals are bad, of course, but you've probably talked before about something called the precautionary principle, Mm -hmm. which means that, you know, when in doubt, avoid. Um, When you're looking at a label that's got 25 ingredients versus a label that's got three ingredients that you can pronounce... (laughs) Probably you want to go with the thing that is less complex, has fewer of these chemical ingredients. And the more we do that, the more companies will go, hey, that's how I can support my family as a company. I can earn money, make a good living by bringing products that people want, which are devoid of these chemicals. And I think that's how the marketplace speaks. I mean, it's so fun to talk to you about environmentalism and all of the other issues outside of sleep, which you're known as the sleep whisperer. I do have to talk about Snoo and what you built because also everything is organic and the way that you've built it, I think is so genius that there's a rental program 
because you're creating less electronic waste. I just mm-hmm. think of how much we consume this idea that we can actually share things that are beautifully built. I mean, you've built the first responsive baby bed that could potentially, I mean, it is helping to prevent the worst effects of sudden infant death syndrome, which we can't seem to get under 3,700, uh, below 3,700 yes. deaths in the United States alone. I want to hear what inspired you to come out of retirement almost, like you were about to retire and then you decided no, that you we had were to. Retired. Oh, you were yeah, you were actually absolutely. retired, and you're like, oh no, this retirement is boring. I'm gonna totally try to create a responsive baby bed. Well, you know something. I I've been teaching baby calming and sleep for a long, long time, and and people you know learned that and they did their best, but everyone kept saying, but I'm still exhausted. I can't get sleep at night, and I mean, on the one hand, it's it's kind of a a joke line in sitcoms, right? You know, the the woman who falls asleep at the red light or the guy who squirts some sunscreen on his toothbrush or something like that. Right, but it's not um, funny. Like being that tired is awful. Well, it's it is serious. You're right. Yeah. Um it is the leading trigger for postpartum depression and anxiety, unsafe sleeping practices and the thousands of infant deaths that you were talking about, breastfeeding failure, obesity, car accidents, shaken baby syndrome, visits to the doctor, billions of dollars of healthcare costs and billions of dollars of employer costs because of um, poor retention. And, you know, I, I just cannot go back to work and take care of my baby at the same time poor productivity, errors, accidents, and healthcare costs. We actually have over 60 corporations that now provide SNU as a benefit because there's nothing that makes their employees happier and more loyal than for the company to take care of them when they have a new baby. And literally, it just costs the company, like, it's under $4 a day. So it's literally cost of a cup of coffee. Anyway, so we wanted to support parents And it's related to the environmental questions, Mm -hmm. I think, in a lot of ways, which is that once you're an environmentalist, you can't help but have an ecological view of everything. There's a a famous line by John Muir, and he said that when you tug on anything in nature, you see that its roots are connected to something else. And we are all connected to each other so we need to think sustainably. We need to think ecologically. And so with SNU, we made it with organic cotton. We made it with a very dependable motor and chassis that can last millions and millions of cycles so that we can rent it and use it again and rent it and use it again. And uh, as you said, so the electronics and the whole gizmo doesn't go into the waste stream. And we wanted people to understand that this isn't, just for your baby to keep them safe and keep them alive and help them learn to be great sleepers. But you're connected to other mothers and fathers, and we are one interdependent group. We're already listed as a breakthrough device by the FDA in terms of our ability to potentially reduce infant sleep death, SIDS, and we hope by the end of 2021 to be able to have their their full clearance But we know that SNU keeps babies on the back. They can't roll to an unsafe position. Right there, we should be able to prevent 50% of the risk of death. In addition, we're doing studies to prevent postpartum depression and anxiety. Um, We're doing studies to support babies who are withdrawing from opiates. We're supporting nurses in the hospital and new parents to keep their babies safe. So it's a very, it's exciting time. And we're super jazzed about, about having more and more people have the benefit of it. I mean, five years of snoo, just to see 
how much it has transformed a landscape of parent and infant sleep and also talking about kind of going back to chemicals, but what happens to me if I don't sleep? I just feel like an absolute mess. So that has always been the biggest concern, I think, with having a kid where I just need to to get sleep in order to be able to to function. It just feels like the chemistry is completely sure. messed up internally if I'm honestly without one night of proper sleep. And we know that now. There have been studies like the U.S. Highway Safety Commission did a study that showed one night of less than six hours sleep doubles your risk of serious car accident. And that's just one night. I mean, as a, as a, of course, it's hard getting good sleep at the end of pregnancy very often. And then in those first months, it can be, you know, such a big challenge. And sleep deprivation leads to not just irritability and foggy brain, and it literally gives you the same brain impairment as being drunk, which is why you get into car accidents. But it makes it hard to lose weight, and it, it, it hurts your immune system. It leads to more stress injuries all sorts of problems related to lack of sleep. And so, yeah, I know we're, we're excited. We've demonstrated that we can add at least an hour to a baby's sleep. And usually by two, three months, babies in SNU have a seven hour stretch of undisturbed sleep. We never knew that was even possible, except in one particular situation, which was when you drove your child all night in the car. Right. You know, have you heard of that? Uh, my parents used to do it because they had three under the age of three and they were just losing oh. their minds because I have yeah. twin sisters. And it, yeah, they would drive us around just to get us to go to sleep. Yeah. They were and, like, and where, it it was, where it was new for us. <laughs> yeah. I hear that all the time. Yeah. Well, we're excited now that that's an opportunity for parents. And it is literally like driving them all night in the car without having to go in the car. With, while still being able to get to sleep. Exactly. Yes. And less um, pollution. Also, I mean, I just like, I have so much respect for parents. What you said, uh, how they train Navy SEALs is actually, what is it? Sleep deprivation playing. With the sound of crying babies over loudspeakers. Exactly. Right, right. Harvey, I could just keep talking to you about all that you've achieved. It's so impressive. But I think the five years is new and your work to protect children from the problems that we're doing to the environment is is really such a legacy. I'm curious because I always end with this question. Obviously, we're called enough, but there's this duality of the word of what have you had enough of? And then when Mm -hmm. do you feel like you have enough, you know, like really good and full and complete? Oh, gosh. Um, Well, I'm very tactile. So hugging makes me feel really good and complete. I, I, you know, there's that. So this has been a tough year for you. (laughs) Well, fortunately, I've got my my wonderful wife with me. And and, uh, and our daughter did come to visit during it. So 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 I'm luckier than many, you know, to have that. Um, But I guess um, what I've had enough of um, most poignantly right now are are vaccine deniers. Mm. A true patriot is someone who sacrifices for others. And that's why we're, we're so fortunate to live in the United States. And, and it wasn't a gift given to us. It was something that people fought and died for. And so we need to help each other. And we need to help people around the world. Not only because it's the right thing to do, but selfishly. Because the more that there are variants to COVID that get out, the more our children and our parents and ourselves are going to be threatened. And so um, um, now that there have been, you know, hundreds of millions of people given the vaccine, there's no more of an excuse. Well, it's too new. I mean, we have so much, not that everything is known 
and not that there's zero risk in the world. Every time you drive your car, you're taking a risk with your life, a much bigger risk than getting a vaccine. And so it's important for people to stand up and do the right thing for uh, for people who live in old age homes or, or are disabled or have chronic disease, and they need to be protected by those among us who have the ability to, um, to get the vaccine and to make it a safer environment. Amen to that. I wholeheartedly agree with you and just appreciate all of your work. I am always so impressed every time I hear Dr. Karp speak about anything, but it just kind of wows me everything that he knows and all of the things that he's been involved in, whether it's helping to change legislation around some of these things that he's talking about. With his op-ed that he wrote for the LA Times back in 2007, talking about chemicals in our children's toys. It is so impressive, the work that he's done. And I'm also just wowed that he was there early days Earth Day. I mean, that's incredible I to be a fly on the wall. I asked a simple question about endocrine disruptors and he just gave me this insane lesson yet he is optimistic that we are doing better that there is going to be more regulation and I think that the tool of environmental working group which I use all the time by the way I go to EWG and I type in a product just to understand what I'm putting in my body and I think that it's such an easy thing for people to be able to do so that they can as much as possible, control what they're putting on them and in them. I mean, it makes me feel optimistic to know that people like Dr. Carr are working on this and so committed to this because it can feel so overwhelming. And the autism conversation is one that can be scary. It feels like you don't have control over things. And I think for you and I who like to control things, that is really terrifying prospect that something environmentally could impact something and it might not have anything to do even with what we're doing to our own bodies yeah and this isn't and I just also like have to recognize and be careful I don't want this to be a judgment on autism obviously like there's so many incredible people who are on the spectrum but I think like looking at the increased rates that we have to scientifically assess why is that happening why is there a shift and that there is such remarkable research happening and that it's likely connected to some of these chemicals we cannot ignore it he essentially calls it chemical warfare too this is literally corporate America attacking our bodies our systems our food and I think that they've done such a good job of making environmentalists look fringe and crazy because it behooves them to make it easier to grow the perfect apple or to have things smell a certain way but it's really destroying ourselves yeah and also we should know what we're putting to your point in and on our bodies I mean it's kind of wild to think that we don't have that information or it's not readily accessible or that you have to go on and try to, you know, go on a website to figure it out. I mean, it's just crazy to me that it's taken this long for that conversation to be more mainstream. And again, we need to respect all groups of people here, but we need to understand scientifically why we're seeing higher rates of different things happening. I mean, we have to educate ourselves. Completely. But I also think we have to be careful with the greenwashing of the use of the terms clean. Some things can be called clean and are still problematic, but that's where I think Environmental Working Group is doing such great work to be able to empower us to make some better decisions. Yeah, these catch-all terms can sometimes do more harm than good because they lead people to believe that they don't have to worry 
but they don't really tell the full story. Well, I just feel so honored to have been able to be in conversation with Dr. Karp, but to also hear not only about the incredible work he's done as a pediatrician, but about these studies on chemicals and his environmentalism that I think has driven him. And I hope that someday you get that retirement and sleep that you proselytize to everyone else. <laughs> Go get that eight hours, Harvey. <laughs> yeah, right. Never. Enough is a podcast from Number 29 and Pineapple Street Studios. It's produced by Sandra Ellen. Pineapple Street Studios executive producers are Jenna Weiss-Berman and Max Linsky. Original composition by Hannes Brown. For more information on Dr. Karp, Environmental Working Group, and Number 29, check out the links in our show notes. 